So we're in the second week of a series that we started last week called Stranger Things, where we're looking at some things in the Bible that we might read and they might stand out to us, some amazing, miraculous things that take place, some things that sometimes seem really strange. And sometimes we wonder, well, what do we do with those stories? Are those true stories? And if they are, what does it mean for us today? How do we apply these things to our life? What difference does it make as we seek to follow Jesus today? And so last week, we talked about the supernatural. And what does the supernatural uh, play in our world today? What role does it play? Because sometimes people go one side and they say, well, all of those things are just you know, made up stories and they don't have any application today. And other times people go far to the other side and sometimes obsess over the, the uh, supernatural things. And so how should we approach the supernatural parts of scripture and what does it mean for our world today? And what we talked about is the greatest mistake that we can make is to overemphasize or to underemphasize the supernatural. You see, God wants to work in both our natural world and through the supernatural. We see it again and again. And he wants to be present with us. He's working today, and he wants to invite us to be a part of it. He invites us to be in a living and a dynamic and a real relationship with him. And because of his presence with us, we can have confidence. We don't have to be afraid. And we can have trust, and we don't need to worry And we can be winsome. We don't have to be weird. And so throughout the Bible in the Old Testament and the New Testament, we see these stories of God operating within our natural world and also within the supernatural. And a big part of that is how he operates through the Holy Spirit. And what we see again in the Old Testament and the New Testament is that no one is able to do the work of God without the help of the Holy Spirit. No one can lead God's people without the Spirit's help. No one is able to bear good fruit in their life without the help of the Spirit. If you go back to some of the most popular stories of the Old Testament, Joseph, when he was in Egypt, is able to lead and to rule over people because of the Holy Spirit's power. Joshua is given military skill and strategy through the help of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit gives words to the prophets, prophets like Isaiah and Jeremiah. There's another man, maybe you remember reading about, named Gideon. Gideon was a wimpy guy until the Spirit shows up and gives him confidence and leadership ability. And there was a prophet named Joel. And Joel said, on behalf of God, one day I will pour out my spirit upon all people. A prophecy for us today. Well, then we see how the Holy Spirit empowered Jesus throughout his ministry. Jesus starts his ministry by quoting Isaiah. He says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me to proclaim good news, to free people, to heal people. Jesus has the help of the Holy Spirit as he does his ministry 
And he does miracles, and he changes lives. He heals, and he teaches, and he even raises people from the dead. And then after Jesus was killed on the cross, and he rose again on Easter, he spent some final moments with his, with his disciples and his followers, and he gave them a mission. He told them what to do, and he said, in order to accomplish the mission I'm giving you, I'm going to pour out my spirit. I'm going to send an advocate, a helper, to be with you. And in fact, because you have the Spirit's power, you're going to do even greater things than I have done. Which again, every time I read that, it gives me pause. Because we read all the miraculous and amazing things that Jesus did in his ministry. And yet he says to us, to his disciples, to his followers, you're going to do all of that and even greater things. How is that possible? He tells his followers, go into all the world and make disciples. Teach them. Share the gospel. And in order to accomplish it, you're not going to be alone. I'm going to be with you through the Spirit's power. And so we hear these words that were in our scripture reading today from John 14. He says, I will ask my father and he will give you another advocate, another helper, another teacher, another guide, can be translated in many ways, to help you and be with you forever. I mean, those are two big key things. We need help, right? But we also need presence. We need somebody to accompany us. He's going to be with you forever. And he's the spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him. Because it neither sees or knows him. Now we're getting into the supernatural again. But he says, but you know him. Because of two key parts. He lives with you. And he will be in you. The spirit is in you. And he's with you. Jesus is saying, hey, everything you've seen me do is still possible. This is what I'm calling you to do. That same power that you've seen operating in me is now with you and in you. It's available today through the Holy Spirit. Jesus is saying he lives with you and he lives in you. Now, you might notice that in our scripture reading and just how I quoted it just now, it says the Holy Spirit is he. And this is a key thing because the Holy Spirit is not an it, and the Holy Spirit is not a thing. The Holy Spirit is a person, a part of the Trinity. Now, there's been a lot of confusion around the topic of the Holy Spirit, especially because of the King James translation that came out about 500 years ago, where someone decided to translate Holy Spirit as Holy Ghost. It's tripped people up ever since. Every time we hear ghost, it sounds mysterious, and it sounds scary, and we wonder if we should be afraid. We think maybe best case, he could be like Casper and be a a friendly ghost, right? But the Holy Spirit is a person. The Holy Spirit has emotions. The Holy Spirit can think and feel and has a will and has a personality, And the Bible tells us that the Holy Spirit can be grieved and it can be stifled. It can be ignored 
and rejected, but he can also inspire and empower and lead and guide. And most importantly, most importantly, the Holy Spirit loves and honors and glorifies Jesus. And so the Apostle Paul teaches us an important truth in Romans chapter 8, verse 9. And that's this. The Holy Spirit lives in all Christians. In fact, we're told the only way that any of us can confess that Jesus is our Lord and our Savior is by the power of the Spirit. It's not something we can even do on our own. Paul says in 1 Corinthians, no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. Every Christ follower has the Holy Spirit living within them. It's a promise. One of the most vital and important roles the Holy Spirit has is to bring us to salvation. And it means we can't get into some kind of competition with other Christians and say, I've got spirit, yes I do, how about you? No, every one of us has the gift of the Holy Spirit within us. To be in Christ means you have the Holy Spirit. What a gift we're all given. But then there's another truth that the Apostle Paul teaches us throughout his letters, and that's that not all Christians are filled with the Spirit. Dozens of times he tells us, be filled with the Spirit. Be filled with the Spirit. And actually, the proper translation in Ephesians 5.18 is to say, keep on being filled with the Spirit. It's a present future tense. Something that happens today but should continue into the future. Keep on being filled with the Spirit every day. Make room in your heart and in your life to be filled to overflowing with the Spirit's love and power. You know, it's kind of like this. Every believer has the pilot light lit, but not every believer has turned up the flame You see, it's impossible to live the Christian life without the help of the Holy Spirit. Without the Spirit, it's impossible to be who God wants you to be, who he created you to be. And it's impossible to do what God is calling you to do. You know, it's kind of like if you go running. I mean, hopefully you don't go this afternoon. It's a little humid out there. But you go running or you go for a hike Imagine trying to go an extended distance without breathing. It would be impossible, right? When you're running, when you're hiking, when you're walking, you need to breathe in air to keep you alive. And as Christians, as we seek to follow God, we need to be filled with the Spirit so that we can live for Him. See, sometimes the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, is talked about as being breath the breath of God, which comes to fill us up and help us thrive as followers of Jesus. Now, sometimes when we talk about being spirit-filled, it can provoke two different responses. Some people jump up and down and say, I can't wait to show you how spirit-filled I am. Watch this. And there's other people who say, I want nothing to do with this. Are we going off the deep end? I'm having visions of the guy hitting people on the head and they're falling over. When we talk about being spirit-filled, the first place we need to go is back to Scripture. 
And in fact, one of the places where we see the Spirit filling people up again and again is in the Christmas story. As you probably know, the Christmas story uh, that we typically focus in on is in Luke chapters 1 and 2. And what we see in Luke 1 and 2 is that Zechariah and Elizabeth and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and then John the Baptist, they are all filled with the Holy Spirit. And then we see Jesus himself being filled with the Spirit. And so don't miss this important truth. To be Spirit-filled is simply to be like Jesus. All right, sometimes we tack all kinds of other things onto that. Some denominations go in different directions. But at its root level, at its most basic form, to be Spirit-filled simply means to be like Jesus. It doesn't mean you have to be strange or weird or off the wall. It simply means to look like Jesus. In the book of Acts, which is really just Luke, chap- or Luke part two, all sorts of people are filled with the Spirit and they go out into the world and they share the gospel and people came to faith by the thousands every single day. They lived their life for Christ. People saw Jesus in them. And the church expanded exponentially. You see, when the Spirit comes in, the life of Jesus goes out. Now, Pentecost, which we read about in the book of Acts, was actually a Jewish festival that was celebrated for thousands of years. Pentecost was the harvest festival where they would come and give thanks to God for the harvest of the crops. And you see, as Pentecost happens in the church, there's another harvest. Thousands upon thousands of people come to faith. The kingdom expands. And so every time the Spirit fills us up as the body of Christ, there should be a harvest or something is wrong. If we're truly spirit-filled, we need to be out inviting. We need to be out sharing the gospel, telling others about Christ. Whenever Pentecost happens, whenever the spirit is moving, there's a harvest. Sometimes that means we need to put aside our own preferences, our own opinions, our own wants and desires in order to reach more people for Christ. Being filled with the Spirit means our heart should break for the lost of this world. Now the Holy Spirit also gives us gifts, spiritual gifts, in order to make a difference for Jesus. Now I taught about this in a sermon in March, so I'm not going to go into a bunch of detail. You can look it up online if you wish. But Paul says we're given these gifts to build up the body of Christ And we're not all gifted in the same way. Some are gifted to teach. Others are gifted to help or to have hospitality or to encourage. And the list goes on. No one gift is more important than another. We need every gift so that we can be effective for the kingdom. See, what this means is that we need every person here to step up and use their gifts and their talents if we're going to be the church that God called us to be. In fact, this fall, when we kick off our new schedule and we welcome in hundreds and hundreds of people, we need your help. 
If you don't have a way to serve right now, we could use your help. We need over 100 people volunteering every Sunday morning. There's a place for you to use your gifts as the Spirit leads. See, the most important thing is we know the Spirit is at work when people love Jesus, when people worship Jesus, and when people serve Jesus. The Holy Spirit loves to point people to Jesus. The Holy Spirit inspired all the authors of Scripture, Old Testament and New Testament, to point us to the hope that we have in Christ. Martin Luther said that the Bible is like the manger where the Christ child is held, where we can come to faith, where we can share the power of what God is able to do and what he's still able to do through Christ. When we're filled with the Spirit, he takes up residence in our heart. He transforms us and empowers us and gifts us from the inside out. He makes us a new creation with a heart for all of God's people. But have you ever felt like a dry sponge? Have you ever felt that way before? Have you ever felt lost, isolated, alone, separated, spiritually dry? You wonder, is God still there? Did he go on vacation? Do you feel like, I want to pray, I want to read my Bible, but it just doesn't seem to matter? Have you ever had a time when you feel like a dry sponge? Now, even King David felt this way numerous times. In Psalm 63, he says, Oh God, you are my God. I earnestly search for you. My soul thirsts for you. He says, My whole body longs for you in this parched and weary land where there is no water. He's having a time in his life and his faith where he feels spiritually dry. Now what happens if you take a dry sponge and you put it in some water? It comes to life, right? The Greek word for baptism is the word baptizo, which means to drench and to immerse and to saturate. The Bible talks about being baptized in water, like we just witnessed this morning, but also being baptized in the Spirit. Let God drench you with his love through his Holy Spirit. As Paul says, be continually filled to overflowing. It simply takes asking him to come and fill you up. It means surrendering to him. It means yielding to his power. Now, when you pray for the Spirit to fill you to overflowing, I believe you will experience two powerful things. Number one, first, the Holy Spirit will shower you with his grace. The Holy Spirit will shower you with grace. When you look around at our world, when you look around at current events, 
Maybe the, what you experience day to day at work or in your community, the world is so often an ungraceful place. But the Holy Spirit will come and shower you with grace. In John chapter 16, Jesus talks at length about when the Holy Spirit comes to dwell in us. And he says what the Holy Spirit first does is teach us the truth about ourselves, points out our sinfulness and the consequences of sin. He tells us the whole truth. But ultimately, the truth ends up in the gospel. We are completely sinful and lost, but because of what Jesus did on the cross, we are offered forgiveness and new life and grace. The Holy Spirit points us to the cross and to the good news of Jesus. It's so easy to get bogged down in our guilt and our shame, to be burdened by those things, but the Holy Spirit will continually remind us of God's grace in Christ. He'll continually lead us into his love. You see, this is the most important message we can share with the world, a world who desperately needs more grace. The Holy Spirit will also give you power. The Holy Spirit will also give you power. In Acts chapter 1, Jesus says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. He'll turn up the pilot light. He'll give you the potential to live out God's call. It's not something to keep to yourself. This is a power to be a witness for Jesus. In fact, in Acts 1.8, he says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes so that you can be my witnesses to the ends of the earth. You're called to be a witness for Jesus. And this is a power that can change your life, can transform your life, and give you a new purpose and a new mission. Acts chapter 2, on that Pentecost day, it says the Holy Spirit came and they were filled up. One moment they're standing around confused and afraid, and the next they are on fire for the gospel, and they go out. Many give up their lives, and the church expands like never before. And the world is turned upside down because they have power through the Spirit. Now, I want to share a time when I encountered this in my own life. Last week, I, I shared briefly about a time I was in South Africa two summers ago to do ministry with my friend Kelly. Kelly's been a missionary in a very remote part of South Africa for 30 years. And last week, I talked about encountering the witch doctors, which was an amazing experience. But we were doing ministry with the Zosa people. It's the tribe that Nelson Mandela came from. And in that tribe, in the Eastern Cape of South Africa, ancestor worship is very common. They believe that you have to appease and satisfy your ancestors in order to have a healthy and happy life. Now, there's a popular cult that is going around this area these days called the Church of Zion. And what the Church of Zion does is it tries to take some parts of Christianity and some parts of ancestor worship and then combine them together. 
So one Sunday, we were in a village up in the mountains, and we, again, were the very first Caucasian people to ever visit this village. So we were camping out with them, and we were invited to this service at the next village over. So we walked across through the mountains. We made it to this village, and we found out it was actually a memorial service for a 92-year-old woman. It's very uncommon for someone to live that long in this part of the world. So it's this memorial service, and we found out that the cult was running it, the Church of Zion. They were wearing very uh, bright robes, and they were drawing a lot of attention to themselves. But when we showed up right away, I was asked to preach at the memorial service, kind of being, I guess, the celebrity white guy. Now, I am afraid. Like, what do I say? I've never met this woman. There's a cult running the service. What in the world should I do? Luckily, I have a translator with me. So I sat down and I prayed like I've probably never prayed before. I said, God, I need your help. I need your power. I need some direction and guidance. I have no idea what to do. Now, we're under a big tent, and I think I've got a picture of it. There's the tent, and it doesn't even really give it justice. There were well over 100 people within the tent and another 100 people outside the tent. And the thing is, they kept coming, and they kept coming, And a lot of men came, which is, again, very rare for this tribe. Well, I felt very clear that God gave me the word resurrection. I'm supposed to get up and talk about resurrection. I had no notes, nothing prepared. My iPad doesn't work in that part of the world. We hadn't charged it for days. So I got up and I started to talk about resurrection I talked about how because of Jesus' resurrection, our sins are forgiven And he defeated death, and we have power, and we have a new future. And at the end of the service, over a hundred of those people gave their life to Christ, including half the cult, which was amazing. Well, then we had another outreach service that day. We were basically doing services all the time. And we were in another village, and I preached again, and again, it was a scary moment, and I prayed to God. I had nothing prepared. All right, speak through me. I asked for your spirit's power to fill me up. And at the end of the service, the chief came and he thanked us that he had been praying for decades for someone to come and share the gospel with his village. And I think I have a picture of him. He's in the middle there. Kelly's my friend on the left there. And at the end of the service, he said, I'm going to give you a gift. I thought, well, it's very nice of him. He said, go and pick out a sheep. I think I've got a picture. So I've been given, been given a lot of nice gifts before, but never livestock. So I got to pick out a sheep. I found out his name later. It was lunch. <laughs> but you see, this is a time when I clearly experienced God's power, and it wasn't from myself. It was power from the Spirit. You see, he gave me direction and guidance when I was willing to follow him. And that same power is available to you. The Holy Spirit also makes it possible for us to live what Jesus calls the abundant life, to bear good fruit. Remember our study on Galatians a number of months ago. In Galatians 5, we have a list of the fruits of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. 
Those are all qualities that anyone, I think, in our world desires, but we all know that they're so difficult on our own. But when the Holy Spirit works through us, suddenly they're possible. Jesus says we can experience that abundant life, a life where we're continually filled to overflowing, where we're overwhelmed with his grace and his power. But you know what? Way too often, even as believers, we tend to feel like a dry sponge. We maybe don't feel at all like we're thriving in the way that God intends us to. One of my favorite authors, John Ortberg, wrote an article. He starts it out by just saying, FTT. It says, my wife first introduced me to those initials. Nancy was a nurse when I first met her. There were many parts of nursing for which she did not care much, but she loved diagnosis. Today, there cannot be too many episodes of Grey's Anatomy or ER for her. She is constantly telling me her private diagnoses of people, even total strangers, just based on their facial coloring. She can tell you how long you have to live if she gets a clear look at your face and the light is good. Then he says, but of all the diagnoses I've heard her discuss, FTT is the one that sticks in my mind. Those initials would go on the chart of an infant who often, for unknown reasons, was unable to gain weight or to grow on their own. FTT stands for failure to thrive. Sometimes it might be a hidden condition or something's off with the infant's metabolism for reasons no one can understand. But FTT is one of those mysterious phrases that sounds like an explanation, but actually explains nothing. Failure to thrive. I don't know why it struck me as so unspeakably sad until I read Dallas Willard's The Spirit of the Disciplines. Dallas writes that although we have tended to think of the word salvation as just the forgiveness of sins or an escape from punishment, it actually has a much more robust meaning for the writers of Scripture. The simple and wholly adequate word for salvation in the New Testament is life. Jesus says, I have come that they might have life and they might have it more abundantly. FTT, that's the human condition. Thrive is a life word, a word full of shalom. Thriving is what we were intended to do, like a flower stubbornly pushing through the crack in a sidewalk. It's why we pause in wonder at a baby's first step or first word and why we actually should have wonder at every step and every word. Thriving is what God saw when he first created life and saw that it was good. Thriving is God's intention for your life and mine. Church, don't wait another minute to make room for God in your life. Ask him to come and fill you with his spirit so that you can fully thrive. You see, the Holy Spirit wants to fill you to overflowing with his grace and power. And you know why that's important? It's because when we overflow, others can experience his grace and his power 
through us. Every person we meet, every person we meet is a beloved child of God who needs to hear the good news. When we allow the Spirit to fill us to overflowing, then we will impact others with the good news of Jesus. Imagine what we could accomplish as a church if as we go from this place, we would let the Spirit overflow in our homes, in our neighborhoods, at school, at work, wherever we go. I believe it would make a difference for the kingdom. And together, we would thrive the way that God intends. Amen? Let's pray. Gracious God, we give you thanks for the gift of the Holy Spirit. God, so often we have questions, sometimes we have fears. Today, God, speak to our hearts. Help us to learn and to know and to live out what you want us to. Help us to embrace the gift of your Spirit who is in us and with us. And God, fill us to overflowing with your grace and your power so that we can make a difference for you. God, help us to remember it's not about us. It's all about you. That you've called us to be your witnesses, to share the everlasting love of Christ wherever we go, and that we're not alone, that you're with us every step of the way. And so, God, again, we thank and praise you for the gift of your Holy Spirit. God, today we pray for our ministry partners, Hosanna in Lakeville, and LSS, Housing Services of Minnesota. We ask that you bless their ministries as they represent you and as they preach the gospel. We pray that your kingdom would expand because of all that they do. God, we also pray for anyone in this congregation and in our community and beyond who are grieving the loss of a loved one or going through other trials and tribulations. God, we ask that you would wrap your loving arms around each one of them and that you would use us as the body of Christ to help lift them up, to help bring your love into each situation. God, we're so thankful that you care about every single detail of our life. And now we pray together the prayer that Jesus taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen.